0: That sci-fi love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and March, face evil's mind.
1: I'm Chad Bokelman.
2: I'm Mark Marble.
1: And this is the Lantern Cast.
2: Episode 243.
1: That's right. We're talking February books.
2: Whoop. I know, we've been rolling through these monthly book reviews lately.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, we are talking Green Lantern number 49, Edge of Oblivion number 2, Sinestro or Telos? Which Sinestro. one are we doing? Sinestro okay. 20. Sinestro 20 harley Quinn's little black book number two and Telos
2: number five a virtual mixed bag of material to say the least so you're
1: getting five books for the price of well one episode but
2: anyways <laughs> you're, um, get, you're getting five books for the quality of two
1: <laughs> don't don't worry we're gonna make some recaps shorter to accommodate it like for instance there are sections of the Harley Quinn's the uh, little black book issue, I'm not even going to cover.
2: So. <laughs> yeah, and 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 Telos is going to be a very, very, very abridged, ver- uh, not just a recap of the of the series, but an extremely, extremely short recap of what happens in that book, since there isn't that, you know, it can really be described in general terms for the most part. So.
1: Well, you're going to kick us off with Green Lantern Forty Nine,
0: right?
2: Uh, I reckon so. Uh, Green Lantern Forty Nine with the cover, Sonar Strikes. A more classic Billy Tan art. (laughs) Uh, Let's get to the let's flip to the creative teams here. The Roar of Silence is the actual title of the issue. Robert Venditti is the writer. Martin Cocolo is the pretty much the artist in this book. Pages one through twenty one, and Billy Tan shows up at the shows up at the end to do the uh, once again the parallax page for whatever reason. Uh, Mark Irwin is the Inker on the Billy Tan page. Oops, I just hit a glare. Sorry. Uh, Tony Avila. Is, whoops. Avina yeah, uh, is the colorist. Dave Sharp, letterer. Billy Tan and Pete Pantanzas did the cover. And there's a Neil Adams variant cover for this one, which, of course, I don't have. <laughs> Too bad. And basically, this, let's cut to the chase a tad. Assistant editor, Andrew Marino. And, of course, Eddie Berganza remains our group editor. So the issue begins. Pretty much, we we have cutting across all the major cities of the DCU, where pretty much everything in the world, all these cities are completely deserted, because everyone is living in fear because of the anticipated next strike, wherever it may be, from from Sonar. Sonar pretty much is you know literally, (laughs) literally lurking in the dark here, planning planning his next move. We see Hal you know watching all this on Coast City. And they kind of give us a recap in case people forgot about how Hal wiped out, you know, the separatist army. Uh, the Mandalorian separatist army was destroyed by Hal, and of course they make a comment that whatever the intentions were, pretty much, it just seems to have inflamed an already tense situation. And, and when Hal's listening to this, you know, his eyes turn glowing green, and his and his gauntlet kind of really kicks into power, and he and he literally and he really does lose control of his power for a moment, and, and he kind of screams. You know, screams at the same time, and he kind of pretty much destroys, destroys the, you know, the, the, the kitchen. It is the kitchen, right? More, I think, for the most part.
1: I have a kitchen slash den.
2: Yeah, because it seems to be, of course, and this, and this was at his brother's, his brother's apartment still, so his brother, like, comes in, like, what, the, what are you doing to my home, Hal? It's like, oh, Jim, I'm sorry, I, like, my gauntlet, I lost focus. So now we're obviously, as we, as we will as we've seen before, and as we'll see next month too, the uh, building up on the theme about Hal's abil- you know, ability to control the gauntlet seems to be harder and harder for him. Uh, we get some conversation about how you know Hal's nephew, how Howard is doing, that he, get, he you know he's stabilized, but there's no, it's still pretty much give, you know give or take if he's going to recover. And, you know, Hal's trying to, you know, pretty much Hal and Jim are having this conversation about what to do, and like Hal's kind of looking for advice from, uh, from Howard, and Howard pretty much, uh, he kind of gets really pissed at Hal for a second, it's like, you know, you don't get to put that on my boy, he's fighting for his life, he didn't go off and try to start World War III, kind of condemning Hal for, you know, jumping into, kind of like escalating the situation needlessly, and then Hal kind of like, and, and Hal's kind of like really taken aback by this, and then, Jim kind of realizes that he probably he probably uh, laid it on a little too thick he probably overreacted to the situation and how uh, you know Helen Helen and Jim are, are talking and on the radio while they're talking there's just some talk about you know how the UN is going to have a secret a secret emergency session that night and once uh and once I think Jim kind of I'm assuming this was a phrase that was said before was it last issue of the talk is cheap phrase? Mm-hmm. Is that accurate? Yeah. yeah. That uh last last month when uh Hal was dealing with the with the terrorists that you know the, the 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 term talk is cheap was was uttered and you know uh when Jim and when Jim and uh Hal are talking you know, Jim kinda of makes a reference so, you know how about you know he, you know about the UN, all they do is talk, right? And then, of course, that just refers to the gong goes off in Hal's head about how talk is cheap. So then Hal kind of figures out one, two, three. Being being quite a good detective for for Hal these days, that pretty much the UN is in all likelihood going to be the target of, of Sonar. So in a pretty cool action pose, too, he, as soon as he hears, you know, as soon as that talk is cheap thing registers with him, his eyes glow green again, he, he flips into his costume as much to, as it is these days, and he and he goes flying off. Now we cut to the emergency, you know, the, the emergency session at the UN, and everyone's talking. And Hal pretty much shows up, and, and he try, and he's trying to get access to the UN. Of course, the security guards try to stop him, which doesn't really go particularly well for him. Uh, as this, you know, as the session plays out, all the, you know, all the ambassadors, all the representatives to the UN, they all have their you know, their headphones on. Clearly, they have the translation of. Who was a, who's ever talking at the time. And then we see the familiar sound waves that we've seen in previous issues when Sonar's, you know, pretty much his weapons are being activated or are, are getting close to exploding. So how? So while this is going on, Hal continues to basically be fighting his way into the Security Council. And and Hal... It's another cool pose, too. Hal shows up, and he pretty much tells everybody in, at the UN to shut up. And, of course, the person giving the speech, speech at the time on the floor... Like what is the meaning of it? And of course, Hal just like puts a mu- he puts a muzzle pretty much on him, and he pretty much puts a muzzle on everybody at the UN as Hal goes through it. And he pretty much he, he collects all their headsets because the bombs are all in the headsets. He puts them all together. He he groups you know he, he groups them all together. He he contains them with his with his gauntlet. It ex- and then Sonar not realizing everything that's going on, of course, at the time. Uh, he kind of like either way he sets the bombs off, but Hal pretty much is able to save them all because because he contains it. Of course, all the UN now is going all giddy, is like, oh, you saved us, you saved us. And then you kind of get we we go to Sonar, and Sonar is kind of disappointed, but he doesn't seem overly distra- distressed either about his plans going awry. Uh, we go back to Coast City where you know Howard kind of mirac- you know miraculously p- perfect timing, so he comes out of his coma, and you know his his mother's all happy to see him, and, and Jim's all happy, and he runs out to Hal. It's like a you know, it's okay, he's you know Howard's fine. Then of course above the Earth, now we get the final page where we see Parallax hovering above the United States, but clearly looking towards California, and he goes, I know you're there, Hal Jordan, you can't hide. I felt your fear, and the fear of this Earth, that can only lead to tragedy. I won't let you destroy Coast City again. Next issue, Parallax Hal versus Renegade Hal. And that's about as exciting as it gets, too. So, don't go... Don't, don't, spoiler alert, don't raise your hopes too high. <laughs> and that's all I'll have to say about that until next month.
1: Um, I really don't have much to say about it. I mean, all all you get is the resolution to the sonar thing. I mean, pretty damn quickly, and
2: um, and not much of a great resolution either. Talk about having threat, you know, oh, loose threads. There's tons of loose threads.
1: <laughs> and uh, the the other thing would be, of course, you see, you know, uh, more of Hal's you know, gauntlet acting out. So outside of that, I really don't see anything because you know he. he Like, you know, you you get him burning up his apartment and destroying some things, but you also get, you know, he's like, he intends to tie up the guards, but he ends up knocking them out. So there's that, too. Uh, Plus, I guess you kind of get an idea of how powerful the gauntlet is based on its uh, being able to contain the explosion of all those bombs. Uh, So that's another hint about some power there. Outside of that, I don't really have much to say. Um, the art is okay for the most part, but there are certain panels that look weird. For instance, just, just one, for instance, where Howard wakes up and his mom says, Howard, thank God, her face or her head or her face just looks massive compared to her body. I just, I don't know. But yeah, I really, I just, I don't have much to say about it, to be honest with you.
2: So it's safe to say you thought the Sonar arc was relatively underwhelming.
1: Yeah, pretty underwhelming.
2: Yeah, I think that's being, I think that's being fairly, uh, kind. I think so, too. This, it, you know, the whole this whole little arc on Earth, not counting issue 50, just looking at the ones we've seen so far, there wasn't a whole lot there. They build up this big, this big sonar versus Hal thing, which, of course, never really happens at all. Uh, sonar seems all a little too nonchalant. But, oh, my, my, my plan went up. My plan didn't quite work, but you've made an enemy of us, Green Lantern, and that kind of thing. And I don't know. The art is... Yes, I agree with you. There are some parts where the art is not as good as others, but it's better than it usually is. Martin Cocolo's art is is better. He draws a, certainly a better Hal, a more consistent and proper-looking Hal, I would say, than we usually get. Uh, the Parallax thing, it, it bothered me. It bothered me because, it, of course, now, look, again, I well, I just lied because I am kind of saying something else without going into great details about Green Lantern 50. That, well,
1: I haven't read it yet.
2: So. Yeah, that's why I'm not going. That's why I'm not going into specifics. But the, the, all, all I was going to say was, when I read this, when I first read this, the whole thing about the fear really annoyed me because he said, "Oh God, you know, this is supposed to be zero hour parallax, and we're tying it into fear being his motivating factor again, which which it wasn't." And because even though I heard you know Robert Venditti give that little. Had that little video out about you know about the com- coming confrontation between Parallax and Hal. He mentioned how you know fear was going to be something that he Hal's fear or whatever was going to be something that Parallax could could uh, zero in on. But I never actually thought it was going to be a line of dialogue. I just thought he was talking about in his own mind how he how we saw it. Now we were going to literally get a panel saying, "Though I sent you know I you know, I felt your fear." So this this was the wrong you know this is the wrong direction to go in. And, and when you read Green Lantern 50, I think it makes a little more sense why they did this at the end of this issue. It doesn't make it better, but it makes, but it makes it consistent. I guess that's about, and that's all, and that will be all I have to say. Again, I don't want to, I don't want to go into great details. Uh, it was okay. It was, it was, it wasn't, unfortunately, at this point, let's, let's be honest. It's kind of like a lot of, a lot of the run that's been on since Jeff Johns left this book. I mean, the, the stories are okay the issue was okay it was unspectacular there were some good things in it there were a lot of things that could have been better probably in the whole arc let alone the issue and i think at the end of the day as much as you know i i think i think we've, we've tried to be really fair you know because especially since robert venditti seems pretty even though he's never he, he's not coming on the show anytime soon he's <laughs> you not know, maybe once he's off the book he, theoretically he, he might be more uh, open to the idea. It'd be more. It might be easier to get him. But he certainly has always been very responsive to us, pretty quickly on Twitter and everything. And I've always so I've respected that. I've always tried to, not necessarily not be critical, but I think I've tried to be, be a little more. Maybe I've tried to choose my words a little more carefully, just out of respect because you don't want to come across the wrong way or annoy somebody who's tr- who seemingly is trying to be nice and. and but I think at the end of the day, we're going to look back at the Robert Venditti era and say it's like, it's okay at best. Oh, as a whole, there have been some really good. There have been some good issues. There have been some. There have been some good storylines, but you know, at best, I am think we're going to be able to say solid but unspectacular. And I'm looking at the way this whole Hal on Earth arc from the beginning to the end, which would be Green Lantern 50. I think that's kind of like a micro, microcosm. There were there was a lot of stuff that could have gone, could have been done in that in that. In, in these issues that could have made it a lot better. And whether it's all his fault or because he's got some directives by DC he's got to follow, I don't know, but the reality is it's just not, you know, it's not helping the cause of, of a book that's floundering. It's not a, in a franchise that's floundering. So that's why we definitely, I think at this point it's safe to say, we, probably, we definitely need a whole new direction for this book. Uh, this was pretty much my last hurrah as far as hoping. That Green Lantern was gonna that some even though even this was I felt this way even before we knew you know that everything was gonna be relaunched with you know with the rebirth event, but now it's like this just kind of you know reaffirms you know, my and and consolidates my opinion that yeah we de- no matter what we need a new direction in this book because this is just not going anywhere and the right, the simply put this is yes, guess is my mini rant for a change that the, the the writing is not strong enough to certainly offset the art which is subpar. Consistently. I guess that's the best way I can describe it. If the art was a lot better, it might be able to, it might be able to get you by a little bit more. And if the writing was really, 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 really great, then you might be able to overlook the art being okay. But when you, when you combine what's, what we're getting, it's not enough to make people really interested. You build something up that people have interest in, whether it's the sonar arc, whether it's the parallax arc, and then you just have what, have what you get. All it ends up is disappointing people, and, and is like, really, realistically speaking, other than what we see at the end of Fifty, which I think you you will appreciate. That the reality is, where's the real motivation to even reading the great the great agent arc, you know, the mini arc, which is what two issues now. But where's the real motivation to reading that? Because the odds are nothing relevant's going to happen, and it's probably going to be who knows how if it's going to even be 100% in continuity or is ever going to be dealt with or sh- dealt with anytime soon. Once the book gets re- rebooted. So I'm sorry. That was my, yeah, but, but, but as a, as, on another note, or as a side note, if you think this is a rant now, wait till you get to the, the episode when we do green lantern 50. So I'll have, I'll have a better one in green, when we get to green lantern 50 <laughs> back to you, Chet.
1: <laughs> all right. Do you have anything else to say about this issue?
2: Not if you don't
1: No, I'm uh, like I said, I got all my stuff out pretty early. <laughs> Alright, so uh, Green Lantern Edge of Oblivion number two. Uh, on the on the art chores, uh, we've got Ethan Van Skyver doing the art. Yay. Tom Taylor is the writer. Jason Wright is the colorist. Dave Sharp is the letterer. Van Skyver and Hi Fi did the cover. Andrew Marino is the assistant editor. Mike Cotton is the editor. And Eddie Braganza is the group editor. We open up with a pretty cool splash of uh, all the lanterns being able. Uh, I, I, I want to say all of them. I feel like they are uh, most all of them. The the, the narration box says Almost not all of right. them, but uh, some remain lost. But a great deal of them are flooding towards Oa, uh, which is in marching in lockstep, or, or Mogo, which is marching in marching in lockstep with uh, Perduron, which is that you know asteroid planet thing that's got all the last survivors of this universe and then we come upon um you know guy and Kilowog and john and simon and Aresia and a couple of other lanterns discovering muckmuck's body uh they come on and they said you know is, is this what you guy says is this what you want you know he says this was your call Kilowog. you said we protect this world without knowing whether these people deserves our protection you said we helped them to escape with us now look what they've done and Simon sort of argues that point. He says, well, that's a good rational point, Baz. Why don't you try it out on our shoveled corpse of a, of a friend? Killawak flies off, goes and confronts the, uh, uh, two giant beings that, uh, confronted them last time and asks for their help. You know, we, uh, you know, so they say, we're sorry. Surely thought you'd be able to help, be strong enough to resist. And they were like, well, what? You know, they they kind of have a quick debate. You know, we know, they deserve to know. If the lanterns act against her, we risk tearing the city apart with Civil War. And guys, like, you know we're standing right here, right? So just tell us <laughs> everything. And they said, she says, uh, Marniel. Marniel. Okay? And he's like, well, what's a Marniel? And they said, uh, she is old, very old. She lives beneath the city. She was here before us, and her followers are loyal and extreme. To openly act against her would divide the last city. But she has no such concern. She seems to want everything destroyed. It's as if... And it's like, then there's a big boom and a rumbling. And she's they said, it's a warning. You know, what? She has not spoken in over a 100 years. Well, then we better listen. Uh, is that an earthquake? No, the planetary engines have started. The planet is fleeing. And John says, fleeing what? And then we cut out to space and we see this massive bolt of energy uh, coming towards the uh, Mogo and the planet of the Lost City. Uh, deep in the cores of, uh, in the core of this, uh, the planet, we see Marniel and uh, lackey of hers. And he says, you know, it appears to be some sort of tear in the very fabric of space and sucking er- everything around it. And it's growing. She says, well, now it's time to strike. And he says, of course, you know, all your venues are ready. They await your order. She says, well, many worlds, one fight. Uh, do it. Uh, send them in, take out the engines. So they, so the minions fly out, they take out the engines, uh, They uh, all three of them explode and go dark. Uh, they f- Everybody uh, summarily freaks out. John goes into action, he says, I need builders, engineers with me, anyone who's good with machines. Uh, Stell chimes in, how about anyone who is a machine? He says, I will need you to lead us in there, Stell. Uh, Mar- uh, one of the, these individuals, um, I her name starts with an A, I just didn't bother. Yeah, her remember.
2: On, it's on the... It's- it's on the other page, she, uh,
1: Osiris. Osiris. She says, she's coming with, she says, I'm getting an idea, he says, I'm getting an idea, we've come up against beings who have destroyed, uh, planets before, but not generally the planets they're standing on, the rest of you, buy us time, protect the planet, try to block as much of the pull from that void as long as you can, so the other big guy and Kilowog and some of the other lanterns go over, and put up a barrier. Interesting that Kilowog's going, but I'll get that, that in a little bit. Um, they put up a big sort of patchwork barrier to help block this thing, keep it back. They're scanning for life forms. They detect life forms within the engine. Um, uh, she, the, you said Osiris?
2: Osiris, I think.
1: Osiris, uh, blocks their shots. Uh, and then she, you know, slaps them and takes them down. The lanterns get to work getting everything going. And, uh, uh, he says, Stell, you know, I can see what's missing and what needs to be built, but can you interpret how it needs to move? He says, I think so, and he goes, draw it out. And then there's a massive construct about how this works. And John says, we make the missing and broken pieces out of construct. Tell, Stell tells us how to make it move, and we hold every individual piece in place. Stell says, we, this will need, to, need absolute focus. We can get this planet moving, but only if each piece becomes a piece of the engine. Um, Marnia leaves. The other, uh, uh, no, her lackey, uh, leaves, flies towards the, uh, barrier erected by the Green Lanterns and blows it up. Marniel stays behind. Uh, the barrier explodes. Uh, Aresia, Chip, and Guy are pretty close to the explosion. The other, uh, large <laughs> individual grabs... Uh, Demail, there we go. Grabs, um, Guy and then Aresia and badge And the, uh uh the uh, uh lackey of marniel shoots uh 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 whatever his name is sorry uh and he lets go of arisia in badge in his defense uh they go floating into the void screaming no and then to a void of white the engines fire it's working the planet is moving pull back they say, gather Dismas and any other wounded. We'll treat them on Mogo. Kilowog approaches Guy and says, Gardner, they're gone. There's nothing you can do for them. And that's when Guy punches Kilowog in the face. And it says, next, fighting for the Fallen.
2: So obviously Dismas must be the guy. Yes. Dismas is the guy. Osmus is the chick.
1: Yes. Uh. Um, it's interesting that Kilowog went to help erect the barrier and, because Kilowog has a history of being mechanically inclined. This is true. So there's that. That's why I pointed that out. Uh Kilowog has always had a history of being mechanically inclined. So I find it interesting that uh, he was part of the other team.
2: But based on raw power and experience maybe they figured he was he was more it was more important for him to be leading the shield brigade. Maybe. So what so what did you think?
1: I mean obviously the art is good it's it's uh it's Ethan van skyver um, I don't know, you know, I just kind of feel like I, at this point I'm sort of jaded on this series. I kind of feel like it's all for nothing uh
2: yeah it, 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 and it kind of had that vibe to it even before we knew before we before we knew about the whole rebirth thing and before we knew that because of rebirth they were losing Van skyver after the next issue <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: but now yeah. when you factor all that in. I agree with you. Plus, like, to me, there's still that specter hovering, no pun intended, over all of this, that we're still not going to have any of this friggin' thing tied back into Lost Army, but by the time this resolves, I'm yeah. hoping I'm wrong, but I don't, but, but if it doesn't tie, if we don't start getting some tie-ins by issue four, you can almost take it to the bank. We're not going to get our Krona, uh, relic tie-ins to this because the first few issues you can get away with, uh, to a certain extent, because we we know now we know that Edge of Oblivion was basically being worked on before <laughs> before uh, Lost Army even knew it was ending, so that's why there's no no sinking between the two. But obviously, before the series ends, probably from after, at the very least, from after issue three, if not issue three, they now know what everything that happened in Lost Army and it's all being written after Lost Army finished. So there should be some tie into that, even if that was not the original plan. But you kind of get the feeling that. You can have two, two six series, two six issue mini series basically that aren't going to really mesh into one coherent story.
1: Yeah. Uh, which none of it's going to matter by the end, anyways, because, I don't know. I mean, you, you, then you get these set up of, of Dismas and, and the other one, and it's just like, I, are we going to see them again? Is Mer- Mar, going to play a, a role in it at all? I mean, she's, sort of paling colored so I don't know maybe um, but it just it all feels utterly pointless I mean it's an interesting story it's entertaining I guess but over, it but by and large worthless um, in, in the grand scheme of things right depending
2: uh, of, depending of course who ends up being on the you know the, some of the creative teams on the new Green Lantern books uh, I mean, if, let's say if Taylor ends up being involved somehow on in the Lantern books, then it probably increases the odds that whatever whatever the payoff is for Edge of Oblivion, some of that will carry over, probably into into the new ongoing, uh, or one of the ongoings. I I, I and obviously this book is going to take a tremendous hit even from an interest point of view once Ethan leaves after issue three, because yeah. he was one of the big draws to this book, uh, and probably one of the major draws to get, for people who were. For the people who were disenchanted with lost army who either were disenchanted with lost army or actually at least wanted to see how it was going to be resolved and then kind of were denied a resolution throwing Ethan on, on this on the follow up to this kind of at least kind of like it soothed the wound you know or the, or the disappointment and now of course even when I mean yes he's moving on to something more relevant the rebirth you know the rebirth uh 80-page one-shot or whatever is is much more important than, than this miniseries, <laughs> clearly. But from a but especially now that we had like gonna have three issues of Ethan Van Scarver drawing Green Lantern and stuff again, and then boom, you know now we're gonna whoever whoever takes a it's gonna kind of be crappy for whoever takes whoever ends up being the artist for the final three issues because you're certainly filling big shoes. So, uh,
1: I definitely don't think a and Badger are dead. I think they're no. any other in, in our universe.
2: Yeah, we'll, one way or the other, we'll see them again. If they don't show up in this, if they don't show up in this mini, uh, which I, I still kind of am leaning towards the fact that they might. If they don't show up in this mini, yeah, we, we know they'll, 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 they'll pop up again once, once the Green Lanterns come back to our universe. You know they're not, they're not gone for good.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Or we don't believe so. There's no reason to believe, not just because it's a comic book and almost no one's gone for good, but even, the, we all know the mysterious disappearing endings are, death, the disappearance deaths you know, without any body, there's no body, you know, you're not dead, that kind of thing. Not like Muck Muck, you know, Muck Muck, is pretty dead. <laughs> Poor Muck Muck.
0: Other than that,
1: I mean, this, 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 you know, despite even the good issues in this month, I actually don't have a whole lot to say about really any of these. I mean, I've got a couple things to say, you know, it's a podcast, I'm not gonna just sit there and go, eh, it was alright, and then go to the next issue, but Kind of each one of them have their own reason for me not to say much. Um, the other one, the, the Green Lantern Forty Nine, there wasn't much there to begin with. Right. Edge of Oblivion, it all feels sort of pointless. So I mean, you know, as we go on, you know, Telos, you know, we'll, you know, and and the Harley's little black, you know, we'll get there. But each of them sort of have a reason for me not to say a whole lot about them. So I apologize for my side of things. If in, a, in advance, if I really don't sound. Very interested in talking about these things. I'm not bored, and I—it's I, not like I don't want a podcast. It's just each of these sort of have a reason for me not to have much to say about them.
2: And to be fair, pretty much—I mean, we might be to objectively say this about every month's issues, but I would say, spe- especially this month's issues, every single issue that we're talking about at least probably has at least one area which is a major flaw or something you can real that really kind of like. Even if you enjoy a lot of the issue, there's some areas of it that kind of like suck the life out of you, I think, oh. and I think that's true for this in the entire the entire month's worth of books. That there are some good points, and even the better books, and I, I kind of think that the book that's what the book we're going to be doing next, Sinestro, is probably the best book of the month. But even that has some things, as I'm sure we'll be discussing some some issues with the, you know the resolution. Right. And, Which seems to be an ongoing issue these days, especially in Green. Maybe it's in in comics in general, but certainly in the in the Green Lantern books, it just seems like we're not even the as much of a resolution as you ever get in a story arc. It just seems like the resolutions that we're getting have been lamer and lamer and lamer, and and you have a especially when you have a big build up towards things. The longer a story arc goes on, the worse it is when you have a pretty anticlimactic ending. Bad enough if it's a three issue arc in the, and it's anticlimactic, but when you have like a six, seven issue arc, or it's something that's been building and running through like on and off, basically, been an underlying theme for like an entire year's worth of issues, and then you get to something where you're you're, you're still left going, okay, that's it, or what about this? What about that? It kind of it's you know it takes the you know takes the winds right out of the sails, and I think we get even in this month alone, we get we I think we get we get a bunch of that. I mean. the we get it in Green Lantern, I think we're kind of getting the vibe we're going to be getting it in, a, in, a, in a Edge of Oblivion. Though we could be wrong, but I think but our, the in, the interest is already, has already kind of hit a speed bump, because I think it's like, Issue 2 was I think a lot less interesting than Issue 1. And Issue 1 had a certain amount of interest just because, even though I don't think we knew this at the time when, when, when it first came out, that Issue 1 we wanted to see how it was going to tie into Lost Army. So I think there was, I don't know. I, I I agree. I think this 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 is probably overall a pretty underwhelming. Be uh, be honest and be objective. It's a pretty underwhelming uh, month's worth of books. So we I think we're all trying to do the best we can to to be fair to the material, but also you know I think just being fair to the material, but but yet have enough discussion to make you know to, to make it a worthwhile episode to listen to, <laughs> without forcing it, of course.
1: Uh-huh. All right. You got anything else to say about this issue?
2: No, no not right. at all.
1: Sinestro number 20, then.
2: Sinestro number 20, like I said, probably the, I would say, the best overall book of the month. So the cover says The Fall of Sinestro, and the actual title in the issue is The Fall, so we're actually pretty much in sync here. Cullen Bond the writer, Brad Walker the pencils, Andrew uh, Livesay Livesey and Walker for the inks, Blonde does the colors, Dave Sharp the letters, Walker Hennessy and Jason Wright did the cover. There was another Neil Adams variant cover for this, uh, which was which was inked by you know, Scott Hanna and colored by Jeremy Cox, Andrew Marino, assistant editor again, Mike Cotton, the editor, and Eddie Berganza remains the group editor. So this book picks up where we left off last issue, which was Sinestro about to square off with The Pale Bishop. And we get, and again, like I think we talked about, we may have talked about even last month that one of the good things about this book, which is going to be sorely missed, since there's not going to be a Sinestro book, uh, when the new, when the rebirth era kicks in, one of the things that's going to be greatly missed about this book is just how we get an insight into Sinestro's mind, which you don't normally do. And just, and this, this book again begins Doing that, so it just kind of reminded me of that right off the bat. You have Sinestro as he's squaring off with the Pale Bishop, and Soros, you know fighting some of the Pale vicars too. That Sinestro goes, you know, many mistakenly believe that I am without fear. They assume that if I control that the emotion, I have conquered and abandoned it. It is a belief I have done little to discredit, although nothing could be further from the truth. You know, and, and he, I mean, and it, you know, he calls on them, you know, the Manhunters to go on a suicide mission. To, to, to attack the pale bishop. And then and Sinestro kind of continues on with this narration about how to instill fear, true fear, one must embrace it. One must walk amongst nightmares if one wishes to become a nightmare. So you know, pretty much uh We have a couple of pages of Sinestro trying, you know throwing a lot of things at the Pale Bishop. And you know, the Pale Bishop basically is is trying to play his own play his own head games with Sinestro to try to, you know, basically Almost like emotionally lobotomize him, like like we've seen other other lanterns and other characters get or be how how they were treated and how they ended up in previous issues. Uh, on Earth, we see Wonder Woman and Superman and the rest of the you know the Sinestro Corps on Earth fighting the uh, fighting the paling. We have a pr- we have a pretty cool scene because everybody at this point everybody's kind of like they got they they all, they have the paling. So, kind of on the run to a to a large extent on Earth, but they're kind of sensing the bigger battle is going on with Sinestro, and they're trying to like basically their Sinestro Corps is trying to rally to go support Sinestro, <laughs> and and as they call to our killer, it's like, aren't you coming? It's like we're off <laughs> well flying off on a hopeless endeavor, which is kind of funny because you have Saint Walker in tow. Not that you see him, but you know that he's around. But our killer goes, someone might stay here. These simpering Earthers cannot protect them you know protect themselves. And we'll get back to this by the end of the issue, but this plays back to what we saw last issue where, even though you know he really doesn't want to admit it, that, that uh, Arquillo is really, first subtly and not so subtly by the end, he's starting to really like and embrace the idea of actually being a hero, of, have, of being a champion for those who can't protect themselves and being appreciated. Um, you know, it's so, just... So while the other yellow lanterns fly off, our Kilo is protecting the humans that are around him and, starts, and still continues to, you know, basically start rip, ripping the heads and the insides off, out and off of, of the paling. Uh, we see, we kind of see what uh, the Pale Bishop is doing to Sinestro. We see the images of, you know, Sinestro losing, you know, the love of his life with his sister. We see the white, you know, someone we haven't seen in a long time. We see the first lantern, when he, when he, when he blew up Korrigor, you know, we, yeah, so between the death of Korrigor and Aaron Sir and all these things that, you know, the, the Pale Bishop is really, really, really trying to play on all basically Sinestro's fears and his weaknesses. Uh, we see, you know, his exile from the Green Lanterns, you know, his, you know, when he became Parallax and killed the Guardians. But while he's being probed, he's also kind of probing the Pale Bishop and he actually finds something of relevance cuz he finds out that there's fear in this in this pale in the this guardian of the universe that became the pale bishop that he realized that he finds out that basically when you know th- these the guardians looked into the wellspring of emotional energy this guardian in particular he knew fear he felt fear and that fear basically is what drove him away from the guardians and from and made him basically want to rid himself of all emotion so because so, because of that, Sinestro now knows that there's fear still within him. And there's a brief moment when the pale bishop is talking to him and he starts and he stutters. And Sinestro, of course, being Sinestro and also being a master strategist, he notices this and realizes he can use this to his advantage. And Sinestro starts playing, you know, starts playing, uh, playing on the fears of the pale bishop. He starts gathering strength pretty much from all the other members members of the Sinestro Corps at the same time, and he he starts. And he uses you know he uses this uh, power to be turned onto the onto the pale bishop, and of course he starts reciting the Sinestro Corps oath. And as you know, Sinestro points out, like myself, the bishop has fostered misinformation, the belief that he is without fear. But fear is what defines this being, fear and all the other emotions it encompasses. Love, hope, anger, compassion, all shadows of my domain, of fear. I ignite these motions within him, and his defenses shatter. And at that point, you know Sinestro is all but powerless, but he has completely wiped he's completely wiped out not only the pale bishop, but all of the paling is pretty much are, are, are dying, their ships are going dark. Sinestro, basically, he's running, he's running on fumes and he goes to Sora, you know, this pretty much took all my power. And Sora's just kind of like, she's like really impressed with all this, not just with how Sinestro went about beating the Pale Bishop, but just the fact that basically he did everything, seemingly on the surface anyway, to save Earth. And, you know, Sinestro goes, you know, I, you know, I told you the Sinestro core is is the force for order in the universe and that is why I must ask you to shoulder a terrible burden. And as all the other Sinestro... You know, as, as all the other Sinestra Corps members deal with the crashing paling ships <laughs> and, you know, pretty much Earth is is happy to be saved. We have again we have the moment the moment I was alluding to where you have the little kid who in the last issue kinda referred to Arkillo as a hero. <laughs> she she wraps her arms around Archilo's leg and goes, Thank you, Monster Man, thank you, Yellow Lantern. <laughs> And at that point, you know the, the Sinestro Corps members are trying to figure out what's going on, and then we hear some, someone call to them, Earth is under the protection of the Sinestro Corps. We will not abandon you. Arkillo automatically recognizes the voice, and it's Sorenic Natu, who now basically has been given the burden, if you will, to be in charge of the Sinestro Corps for the indefinite future. The end.
1: I like the art, I like the colors.
2: Yes. Well, the the art is a little the art is a little shaky on some like like Archilo's not particularly drawn well. There's some panels in which he's drawn horribly, like on that panel when uh, the pale the vicar's right behind him, with the submit to the Inquisition thing, and it, he's got these little stick legs and little stick arms.
1: But there's a couple of cool things like the splash page where you see the other lanterns uh, that were recruited, like uh, Harley Quinn. She yeah, Scarecrow,
2: and yeah, that's pretty cool.
1: She, uh, well, I'm specifically be referring to Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn puts up a construct of Batman. And she says, go, uh, sick and bats. And that Batman looks like the long Halloween Batman or something, maybe yeah. or artistic style wise. So there's that. Um, as far as who this guardian is, no guys, we don't know. Um, although it, it wouldn't be, it, it's obviously not Krona, but it wouldn't be off base to think of him kind of like Krona as in Krona from the Green Lantern movie.
2: Maybe. In except, terms of his history, well, yeah, except he wasn't trying. This, yes, except this character, this character in this book wasn't trying to em- embrace fear or prove he could conquer it. He was trying to avoid it.
1: Well, yeah, but that's what I said, kind of like him.
2: Okay, well, that's a little, that's completely opposite. <laughs> but I get your point. He, he, he has, t- he, he was, he had some kind of futzing around with the emotional spectrum, that, which set him off on his way. So, yes, on that yeah. basic common ground, you were.
1: And the to- only guardian that we've had any that that you know, splintered themselves off from the. Guardians in a negative side of things, as a re- direct result of the emotional spectrum, hasn't been any of the prior la- uh, Guardians, and the only thing we can closely relate him to is Chrono of the Green Lantern movie. So that's that's why I, that's why I mentioned him. Um, I guess that's Sinestro's wife, although I I can't remember what his sister looked like, so I don't know. Well,
2: it says, it says Aaron Sir in the narration. It says Aaron Sir at the bottom. At the bottom. Uh, at, the, at
1: the bottom. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's,
2: that's why, honestly, I drew a blank on remembering what her name was until I got to the bottom of the page and I remembered. Oh yeah, because they, they even tell you that it's Aaron.
1: Um, one of my favorite lines is actually towards the end of the book, uh, when uh, when Wonder Woman uh, is sitting there and or at the you know everything's ended and all this and Wonder Woman says, "It's hard to believe after everything, it was Sinestro. Sinestro who saved the Earth." <laughs> and um Black Adam says you realize for the bastions of morality you put little trust in redemption.
2: Yes, that's a good line.
1: So yeah. A couple of cool splashes too. You know, when when Sinestro is going up against the Pale Bishop and they're all lending him his power as the oath is being said, uh, you know, Black Adam flying in to the battle, uh, the history of this guardian was really well rendered. Uh, some recaps of Sinestro's past was really well real, real re- rendered. Uh, so there's a, a bunch of great art moments in terms of splashes and whatnot. So that was cool. Um, I felt like it ended kind of cheaply. Yeah. It was kind of a cheap ending, but I don't know what I would have expected. Uh, and that's not an insult to Cullen Bunn. I just... Because I can't think of anything else I would have had to do. And it makes sense within the context of the story but i i don't know i something something about the ending just makes me go
0: uh
2: well i guess i think kind of like what i was alluding to before we got into this issue i think part of, i think the the problem with this from my perspective it is a it is an ending it's a cool ending the for the most part the artwork you know is is pretty good in this book it certainly it's Eye-catching, certainly, like, like you, like Chad mentioned, the colors are really, really good. The things that are in, disappointing in this issue, because it's part of a huge arc, this paling thing has been really, the un, has been the overarching thing going on in Sinestro since the book was started. Hasn't been every single issue dealing with the paling. In fact, we had, like, a whole chunk of books in the middle, like, in, uh, like four through seven or wherever it was, when the paling were off the table for a while, when Sinestro was focused on... Uh, the new Korrigor thing. But, the, you know, the Paling has been there for almost the entire story arc since this book was launched. To get an ending in which you don't really get an explanation for, for, for where the Paling's power came from, how it was created, how it works, you don't really get any kind of explanation. They had that cool reveal, which was really cool, that the Pale Bishop was a guardian, but yet he's a completely nameless guardian. He's not a guardian we know. He's not a guardian we've heard of before. Kinda of, to me that's kinda of cheap. Because that means you could always pull something out of your ass like that and then oh there was another guardian that broke off at some point and you don't you don't even have to give him a name. Doesn't have to be anybody, doesn't have to have any ties or anything. Oh we'll just pull out anytime we want another villain we can just pull out a random guardian and we don't even have to bother naming them because it doesn't matter anymore. I think that's an issue. I think that's an issue. It makes it makes it, it I I don't think that, I don't think it pays off as well. Clearly, it would have been more payoff if he was a, he was a guardian that we had some kind, that had some ties to the Green Lantern history. And not just because he's a guardian, because he's a character that we've seen before. I think that's a problem. So you combine the two together. You don't know about their, how their power works, where it came from, how the guardian was able to discover this power, and everything else. I, I think that's a problem. And because we don't, because he's just a nameless guardian, I think that's a problem too. so I think that's, and now those are problems as the, as far as the the huge over you know, the, the huge storyline from beginning to end. The issue isn't bad, it's still the best, I think the still the best book this month, but it's still a problem, and I think it certainly helps lead to, like you kind of said, it can lead to either a feeling of this book ended either quickly, or it's an unsatisfying conclusion. I think that feeds into it, to, at least from my point of view. It certainly can feed into it for the people who have that reaction.
1: Yeah, I... Outside of all that I don't have much to say about this one just because it felt like you know, like you were like you were saying, I just it just didn't end right for me. Uh for me the highlights come in the art. And a couple of dialogue panels like the one I mentioned with Wonder Woman and Black Adam.
2: Yes. A lot of a lot of the things on Earth or around Earth when the when the Yellow Lanterns are interacting with themselves and interacting with uh, the people on Earth—that's that's probably the—that's probably, a, from a characterization point of view, that's one of the highlights of the book. Obviously, getting always seeing behind the veils of Sinestro—you know—that's that's that's, a, that's an ongoing uh, positive. But I think if you're looking for something that can maybe be a little a pleasant surprise, if you will, that uh, I think that was all the stuff that took place on Earth, which was good because it balances it out because you have the two main. Probably the two main characters of this book are together in a completely different uh, setting as the rest of the Sinestro course, so you had to kind of balance it out, and they, uh, I think Colin Bond did a really good job on that level.
1: Yeah. All right, anything else to say? Nope. All right, moving on to Harley's Little Black Book number two, featuring Green Lantern. Uh, we have a creative team of Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti as writers, John Timms as the artist, Morissette as the artist for pages 13 through 14 and page 20. Hi-Fi does the colors. Marilyn Patrizio, Patrizio does the letters. Amanda Connor and Paul Motz did the cover. John Timms did the variant cover. Uh, Dave Whale Gauze as the assistant editor. Chris Conroy is the editor. Mark Doyle is the group editor. And Harley Quinn created by Paul Dini and Bruce Tim. Uh, we open up in Manhattan uh or new york at least uh in harley's little ratty apartment as she's writing in her diary trying to you know suss out what has happened a week and a half ago uh we see a splash sort of of uh, green lantern flying towards harley as she's holding a giant con- red and black construct with red and black missiles uh and she's like well it's, hold up we got to go back um so we go back into the, the story, and we see these guys out camping. And as they're camping, a uh, spaceship uh, crashes right ne- near their campsite. And this alien woman steps out and gives them a box, telling them to keep it far from the grasp of villainy. Those after it will stop at nothing to obtain the contents in the wrong hands. Galaxies will fall before the power of these rings. But, of course, they cannot understand her. So they're debating on whether or not it's a space treasure, or maybe it's the DNA that started mankind, or if it's a space bomb, or it's a black hole, or whatever. So uh, as she's uh, handing the rings off, she ends up dying. Um, and he says, "You know, we'll take the box, strip the ship and contents down, we'll sell all the stuff on Weebay, uh, see if we can get enough money for that trip to Australia." He says, "An alien ship crashes and an alien dies." and all you can care about is personal gain, sigh, I'm in, let's do it. Uh, And then Denver, one week later, these guys are trying to put everything up on the website for sale, they can't get the box open, so he tosses it to his friend, and it ends up floating in midair and spinning, the box opens, and out comes a green lantern ring, as well as a red and a black ring that are in many little force fields separated from one another. They start talking about how they're going to sell the Green Lantern ring, and then he wants them to break out the other rings. So they, they break them, and all of a sudden, the red and the black ring mer- merge together into one. Uh, and he says, don't put it on. There's a reason they kept them separate. And he says, yeah, no kidding. Grab the camera. We'll see what we can get for this. It's not green, so probably not much. Meanwhile, uh, over in New York, I'm assuming, Harley is browsing the web while this... Egg tentacle creature is, I don't know, her butler? I don't know. I don't keep up with the title, so I don't know. Um, she finds the Green Lantern ring and then gets in a bidding war with Mark Marble. I mean, um, <laughs> some random guy uh, <laughs> who's an uber Green Lantern fan who has to, uh, have everything. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, he wins it with a bid of 200 grand, uh, and, uh, he's in deep doo doo with his significant other. Harley is distraught that she lost the bid, but gets a direct message from the guys who sold the Green Lantern ring saying they have another ring, uh, and it's only five grand, and it's red and black. She says, I don't care, I want it, or he he, he, uh, he says it's different colors, but it seems to be charged. Uh, I don't care, I want it. She doesn't know at this point that it's red and black. And the next day out in the Mojave Desert, we see something we haven't seen in a great long time. Hal Jordan as a fucking test pilot. Uh, yes, I use the F-bomb. Um,
3: <laughs> and, he's,
1: and he's flirting up a storm with a female test pilot, <laughs> go figure, uh, who is Russian. And she says, you know, what happened last night uh, is business between us. The test run today is business between our countries. And he's like, if things go smoothly as last night, I see nation's having a very long-lasting favorable relationship. She says, please, it's very important to keep this business to ourselves. <laughs> Such indiscretions can damage my reputation. He says, don't worry, our secret is safe. All, of course, their helmet mics are on, so everybody hears this. Uh, Hal goes off in this plane for a test flight. He crosses over the ocean and sees the ship, uh, cruise ship, is sinking very quickly. He fakes uh, a smoke emergency in the plane for an emergency landing for them to check everything out. Uh, He says, uh, you know, check that out, and then he goes, hides in a hangar, changes into Green Lantern, goes and takes care of the ship, gets everybody off the ship and onto dry land on a neighboring island, then, you know, using a giant construct fishing pole, fishes the uh, cruise ship out of the water and closer to land so it's not sinking anymore, and uh, they all "Thank him, he says, something's wrong, my ring is acting oddly, uh, and he goes off to emer- another emergency. Meanwhile, over in New York uh, mm-hmm. City, we see whatever the hell is happening with Harley's book right now. A group of her friends have showed up to visit her. I'm not covering this part of the title. So uh, back over at Coney Island, which I'm guessing is where Harley's uh, apartment is located, she gets a delivery. The ring is red and black, and she's all excited, so she puts it on. Uh, it starts... Lighting up and her, she's transforming her costume. She says, I p- feel pretty and vigorous and powerful. Uh, I feel kind of invincible and really, really evil. Is it getting hot in here? Or is it just me? And she flies out in this new con, uh, costume. Um, I guess some of her sisters or somebody, uh, who's sort of dressed like her in the same color scheme. They say, I think I just saw Harley fly overheads. Do you think she maybe s- uh, scatapulted herself somewhere, Tony? And he says, that wouldn't surprise me one bit. She's flying over the streets of New York City and comes across this car chase between the uh, NYPD and, I'm assuming, some bank robbers. Uh, she puts a construct, uh, a red and black construct brick wall in front of the cops to separate them from the getaway driver. Flies up alongside them, says, so what's the plan? You want to go back and hassle the heat some more? Maybe you meet the big boss. How about you take me to your secret hide- hidden hideout? We can plot her next big Crime Wave, and he's like, nah, puts a gun up to her. I think she either kills him or shreds his hand, one of the two, uh, then picks up the car in a construct and spins it round and round and round. They all vomit inside the car, so it's like a vomital wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she, there's a, please let us go. She lets go. The car, of course, as uh, spinning, and she lets it go. It goes flying into the air, and it looks like it smashes into the side of the Brooklyn Bridge, I'm assuming? Could be explodes she says i love to set the city on fire now i want to set the world on fire uh, cut back to some of harley's friends that are in town visiting her we don't care um, hal goes off to it and you know jets across the country to go see uh what's, what the emergency his ring is calling him to he says oh no anything but that and he comes across harley with a red and green construct of an arm holding a massive amount of missiles construct missiles he says, "Why are you doing this? There are millions of innocent people down there." She says, oh, not that many. Today's a holiday. Just, just the locals that were too cash-strapped for a rental in the Hamptons are going to be sent to the next life. Stay out of my way here before I make you the center of my of, affension." Uh, uh, yeah. And he says, "Did you just say affection?" Um. She lets the missiles go. He grabs a big construct bat and smacks him out of the sky. Um. And she grabs hold of him. And they get into a big fighting match. He slaps her out into space. She hits, I'm guessing that's the ISS, the, the International Space Station. Um, it breaks, uh, and she's like, that was the biggest pimp slap I've ever seen. I didn't think he had it in him. His mistake, though, now I'm pissed. So he turns around, and he's like, what is, oh, no, you've got to be kidding me. Harley Quinn has basically taken the entire International Space Station and hurled it out of orbit towards the Earth. Everything is burning up and he's like, I'm sure the entire crew is in there still living, I hope. and he grabs a big construct to slow it down, parachutes it into the water so they can be, the astronauts can be taken care of. turns around just in time to avoid an attack from Harley Quinn as she's flying in jet towards him, shooting at him. He says, uh, she suggested arm wrestling match because, you know, it's Harley. They have a big arm wrestling match, um, using their constructs over the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, so there's that. Um, they're all giving their all. Harley basically is winning this and then wins and then he gets zapped in the face and she goes, No, so close. Who did this? This, uh, group of aliens out in orbit. Uh, she flies up towards their ship, and and they make her a deal. You know, they're, they're, they're trying to make a trade for the ring. And uh, she she's able to uh, determine, using her the powers of her ring, evidently she can read minds. And she says, it's telling me you're full of it, it meaning poo, and I don't like Aunt liars, Anakin. Uh, yeah. Do you have any idea what happens to liars? Uh, he gets the better of her, takes the ring off of her, uh, and she is uh, on the deck of this ship, or the uh, or, or whatever, uh, without her powers. And Hal shows up, uses a boxing glove to punch open the door, goes in to take. uh starts to go in to take everything, but Harley uh, jumps in and gets shot out into the sky, falls. Hal goes and catches her. Uh, then he gets zot. Uh, it's, the sound effect is zot. So. He gets zotted in the face again, knocked unconscious, and starts falling towards Earth with Harley. He's not waking up, so Harley grabs his ring, puts it on her, and in the just in the nick of time, they fly up. And Harley's using the ring, uh, and she's like. She says, well, what do I make to obliterify these guys? A giant green hand to bitch slap this ship, maybe a Tasmanian devil, a giant boot, a super power drill. Wait a minute, duh. Makes a giant construct hammer, you know, for Harley Quinn, and it smashes the ship into a billion pieces. And she says, it worked. Thanks, Obama. Yeah, it makes sense. And Hal wakes up, says, what did I miss? She says, a thing of beauty. He says, did you just thank Obama? She says, yeah, I do that every now and again. Doesn't everyone? No. (laughs) Um, (laughs) she gets howled to a doctor, uh, they kiss and make up literally, uh, and part ways and then Harley meets up with her friends and next issue, Zatanna. Uh, yes, it was goofy. Yes, it was full of lantern inconsistencies, but I choose to look at this as just a goofy little story. Uh, that makes no sense, kind of like the Bob Haney stuff in the original Brave and the Bold, the, those stories that made absolutely no sense. (laughs) So, with, within continuity, within the rules of the universe, so they eventually did this thing where, like, you know how you have, uh, Earth 1, Earth 2, Earth B, Earth C, or whatever. They, they made an Earth B minus or whatever, and that was the supposedly the Bob Haney universe. Yeah. So, I'm not going to criticize this for the mistakes it made in terms of lantern power because I honestly don't think that's the point of this. Um, the biggest mistake I think just only comes in a mer- how these rings can merge. Um,
2: that, that's, that's incredibly stupid.
1: Yeah. But, you know, it's Harley Quinn. It's red and black. There's a red and black ring. They merged them together. Why not? So it, it's, it's whatever. I, I was entertained. Let's just put it that way. I, well, how about this? I was more entertained than I expected to be. I expected this to just be a face palm of a book where I just went, Oh God, I wasted every ounce of my effort and time reading this stupid, horrible title.
2: A steaming but, pile. That's what you expected to be.
1: Basically. Yes. But I was at least mildly entertained. I didn't give two flying fucks about what was happening within the context of the series with Harley's friends and all this other stuff. But it was pretty entertaining. I guess Harley isn't really a villain anymore. I I don't know what's going on. I'm not keeping up with Harley Quinn, but I really like some, especially some of the moments with Hal, like him being a flirt uh, and being a test pilot again. That was cool to see. So...
2: The one thing I would say, you probably, I would probably agree with you on the fact that it was not as big of a steaming pile as I expected to be, at least based on when I started reading the book, because I didn't think it was going to be tying into other lantern cords and things like that, so that actually got me interested. It actually took me a while to realize that it was a black and a red ring that were merged, because first it almost looked like blue on the page, but... Once they did the stupid, oh, you hit it with a hammer, the two rings merged together. That's I don't know. That started blowing, blowing my real interest in the book right away. And then seeing I don't know. So I, because because it was tied into other Lantern cores, I think it it probably caught my it piqued my interest when I started reading it more than I thought it would. But at the end of the day, it's like her using the ring when Hal's unconscious, and all, I don't know. I, I don't know, like you, like you said, it's, it's it's like a throwaway thing that doesn't mean anything. So from a, from an entertainment point of view, but it's just, but as a as a big as a diehard Lantern fan, sometimes it's harder to ex- to ex, I think to accept stories like that. or At least for me, it is. And I, I don't
1: know. I mean, I, I I've been talking about how I've been wanting Hal on Earth for a while now. This is kind of what I want. Uh, for you know, you've got Hal as a test pilot. He's a flirt. He's flying the plane. He has to fake a, an emergency with the plane to go off and do his thing as Green Lantern. Um, you know, his ring alerts him to another emergency across the country, and he goes and takes care of that. So he's this is this is what I want to see from Hal Jordan. You know, I want Hal on Earth as a Green Lantern doing his thing. Uh, that a Green Lantern should be doing, you know, just, you know, uh, it on Earth slash Sector Two Eight One Four. It was just, it was just cool to see, um, you know. And Hal's a, this this was actually a pretty good Hal characterization piece, actually.
2: Yeah, um, I'll, I'll I'll agree with that.
1: You know, he's a flirt with everybody, including Harley. So, uh, so that's cool. And you know, he's he's at, at least a little more thought out here. It's cool that he. You know, uh, took care of the passengers on the ship first, then took care of the ship. Uh, then he took care of the space station, made sure it floated slowly down, um, and made sure that the astronauts are accounted for, the Coast Guards. And, you know, he's he's not being as reckless as he usually is. Uh, I mean, he's acceding to Harley's demands of, like, a, you know an arm wrestling match with constructs. But, you know, he's 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 doing pretty good uh so i actually i actually enjoyed how in this story now harley being able to use the green lantern ring uh, a red and green red and black ring merging together you know stuff like that yeah i could get upset about but you know we're never going to see any of this crap again so it doesn't really matter (laughs) and it plays it plays into zero consequence of any other title so it doesn't matter i agree all right wrap us up with telos
2: Wrap us up with Telos number five, which has a, which if nothing else has a really great cover. <laughs> it probably has the best cover of the month. Just the way Parallax comes barreling in there and you get and you and by, by looks of the cover alone, you can't really tell if he's, ha- if he's helping Telos or not helping Telos, which is probably appropriate because the content <laughs> plays into that too. Um, giving a brief background on these, the Telos series and it pretty much your bare basics. Ever since the end of Convergence, if, for people who did read Convergence, you remember that Telos basically found out that even though he didn't really find out who he actually had been, he did find out that he had a family, and his goal was kind of to find them. In a way, kind of like Lorfley, he needs to find his family. So this this whole series is pretty much about Telos trying to find where the hell his family is. And this and so this issue, Telos has is basically kind of, kind of caught himself in a pickle, if you will, and... <laughs> and and he's kind of at the mercy of part of our old friends here, the the coons. Well, I, remember, I bet you were happy to see them back, right, Chad?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to so, be honest with you right now.
2: I barely read this. It's all right. That's how I like, I, re- I, I, I read I, Harley right before we went on the air. <laughs> I, I I
1: paid close attention to the interaction between uh, Telos and Parallax, yes, and that's but all, all this read- other all- stuff, I was just kind of like, eh.
2: And ultimately, that's all. As Green Lantern fans, we care about. <laughs> so that—that's the—that's the thats the thats the ultimate payoff on this. But I'm just trying to give a little bit of, a little bit. I of did.
1: I, I I did notice those aliens from Invasion on here.
2: Yeah, there's a whole bunch of. I mean, there's like they call it. You know, they're they're you know an, an alliance armada. So it's not just it's not just not just a coon, but it's a, so it's a bunch of different races together. A too. Yep. And basically, the uh, Telos has. You know, Telos is kind of like coming to their crosshairs, and they're aiming. You know, they're 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 releasing their you know their troops to go after to go after Telos, and Telos you know seemingly is in is in trouble. And this is probably the coolest part of the entire book, is that well you know while the you know while the uh, you know their flagship over there is about to getting ready to lock on to uh you know to target Telos, all of a sudden this massive amount of green energy rips. Rips through their hull. And it's like our hull is breached, and and inside the ship, it's like the energy signature is. And and Telos completes the sentence, Owen. And then we have this pretty cool. Uh, it's 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 all it's a splash page, but there are a couple. But there's those those extra panels that I just read are on the left hand side. But Parallax shows up. Hal's Parallax shows up, and he kind of like crosses over onto both pages. So Telos. So Telos, you know, realizes who it is instantaneously, and you have some kind of inane banter between Tel- from the parallax point uh, point of view related to Telos. You know, it's like not even a little thank you. This is the second time I've saved your, you know, your shiny bald backside, and yes, you know, parallax shoots green energy, and first Telos thinks he's shooting it at him, but it's like no, no, moron, I smoked two more of those suit units behind you, and you know. Basically, Hal Hal just wants to. All Hal cares about really is wrapping this up because Hal has bigger things to deal with, bigger fish to fry, you know. And he helps, He kind of helps like wiping. He wipes pretty much almost everybody out, just you know, just enough to uh, just enough to send a message. You know, those are, uh, even though it's, you know Talos wanted to leave more of them alive, and then we we get, now we get to the whole crux of why uh uh Parallax is here, that because there's there's this shard that. Shard that basically is on the, or being, it's in the chest of Telos that Brainiac gave him, which supposedly you know is kind of like the key to helping Telos find his family. And as uh, Parallax explains, and I'm going to backtrack in a second, but as Parallax explains, that the shard is the is the roadmap, but but my willpower is what's going to help you find your family. And essentially what Hal wants is Hal wants to make a deal with, tel- with Telos. Is like, I'm going to help you find your family, which supposedly is in the lost sector 3601. And what I want you to do is basically t- help use that shard, you know, t- to help me make my own coast city You know, not bring one back that previously existed. I want to make one pretty much from scratch, and that's going to be my coast city Now, along the, before we get to that part of the conversation, we have a really crappy explanation of some of the things that have happened with since Hal and Superman and and that Lois went back to the crisis on Infinite Earths and saved the entire multiverse, we find out that Hal pretty much showed up on our Earth when during a battle with Darkseid, and he saw our Hal Jordan, the one he's going to see up close real soon, and he goes, there was another Hal Jordan. He's like, who I gave serious consideration to offing, but Carol looks so happy. It's like, I couldn't do that to her again, so I got to thinking, Telos can help ha- help me. And then we kind of get into this, and he tries to explain that oh, because of his not because of the, the tech and the green lantern rings and the central power battery and all this stuff, that that's the way Hal's going to be able to find help Telos, you know, locate his family. But Telos is unwilling to give up, you know, the shard, and Hal, you know, continues to call, throw out insults like calling him dummy and stuff like that. And it's like I don't have time for this, and he put so he so he and he and Telos kind of you know get get into a get into a little uh, shoving match here. But at the end of the day, Hal pretty much, I think, uses, he uses the shard, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. He uses the shard to essentially go, go to a, as he says, I have my coast city to build, and we end up seeing, wherever he is, we see him starting to construct a coast city again out of energy, while Set- Telos is pretty much beaten, bloodied, and encased in green energy, so he's kind of defenseless. And, you know, ne- next, next up, reversal. Now, the art in this book was pretty good. Not yeah. perfect, but Parallax looked pretty good a lot of the time in this book.
1: Yeah, it was pretty good. Uh, I think this scene with uh, him watching Hal and Batman and Wonder Woman and, and and Cal go up against Darkseid was the New 52 um, beginning. story from Justice League.
2: The beginning, right?
1: Yeah, the very beginning. Yeah, I'm assuming,
2: they, I'm assuming it is
1: too. Which would mean that after Convergence... Hal and uh Hal Parallax and Lois and Clark got flung to the beginning of the New 52 and have been here supposedly ever since, which time wise doesn't make up like it, may, it doesn't make sense. Like, you know. How long did it take uh, Parallax? How to find So <laughs> Like, so.
2: But see, at least with Parallax, we have a little bit of a leeway because we know of his ability to jump and skip through time and different things like that. Yeah, so, that's true. so because clearly he's gone back and forth. But this, in a way, this kind of contradicts even what we see in Green Lantern, for, building up towards Green Lantern Fifty about Hal, because if he really had these feelings about Hal. As far as seeing Hal as the root of all evil, and you would think he also would have been able to pick up on Coast City still being alive, or or not being destroyed yet, as as he seems to think. I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of inconsistencies, even which kind of is really, honestly, is kind of stupid. Considering we've we've only had literally like about three or four appearances of parallax since Convergence, you would think people could get the story straight. Shouldn't be that difficult. It's not like the guy's popping up in every single book, and he's been doing it for a year. I mean, he hasn't popped up at all until the last like three or four months. But my issue with this is, and this is this is squarely on on Jeff King because Jeff and I we I pointed this out when we did we talked about convergence, the way he writes the parallax, the zero hour Hal parallax. He doesn't not he does he doesn't understand the character. I would say he clearly likes the character because he used him in as a big factor in convergence and he brought him into Telos. So he must like the character. He just doesn't understand the character. He he has how Jordan talked like his IQ dropped like thirty points. He's throwing around... All, not only is he throwing out insults every three seconds, they're like the, the most uncreative insults of all time. It's, oh, dummy, moron, uh, doohickey, or whatever the hell, doodad. Doodad is what he calls the shard on, on uh, Telos's chest that he's looking for at first. He's just really condescending. He's like really... He's really insulting. And it's like, he's always three seconds away from like just, just destroying everything. He's like... he's There's no, like, no rhyme or... There's no rhyme or reason. There's even... There's even, the, when he's trying to, when he's trying to talk Telos into giving him the shard, he even says to him, you know, it's like, uh you help me, or you help me, I help you, or I go back to my old ways. Think of it as a public service. So even that, I thought, was kind of, was kind of, was kind of lame. But he doesn't, he doesn't get, he doesn't get Parallax. He doesn't understand what Parallax is. What is really was, was about, which is a common thread. And we're going to talk about this more when we do Green Lantern 50. And I kind of have a, and maybe by then I'll actually have permission to you know, put the, to use the quote at, that I got directly as opposed to paraphrasing it. And I, or I'll just leave it anonymous and paraphrase it you don't have to worry about it. But there was a really good quote that I got when talking about this, refer, referring to my, because I raised the idea of that, basically it seemed like, in my opinion, without naming names at this point either about who I think get him but there's only like two writers who I really think have really ever gotten parallax and have written him well and almost everybody and Jeff Johns isn't one of them either it's just the fact that because the people don't get him and they don't write that and there's a, and the explanation I got for why you know why that probably is the case makes perfect sense and this is another example they don't it's like parallax is just being written as a as a unstable completely unstable Villain, as opposed to somebody who's really not a villain, doesn't want to be a villain. He wants, but he he wants to accomplish what he thinks is for the greater good. And yes, he has a he has a toler he has a lower tolerance level for for bullshit and interference with his plans. But he's not. But like the whole thing about oh, I I I bumped into you know I saw the other Hal Jordan of that Earth, and I really thought about killing him for no fucking reason at all. But I really thought about just killing him, and then I saw Carol, and I thought, I mean that's not that's not Hal Jordan. That's not parallax. Parallax isn't gonna just pop in and kill another version of himself for no reason whatsoever. And yeah, you can try to start playing around with explanations for this because the entity might be starting to assert itself a little bit more. And that's kind and that's to me is a cop out though. That's kinda, of, that's an easy explanation, but it's a cop out. Because if you were gonna have that happen where the entity was gonna start taking over Hal and it was becoming more like the 2004 parallax and less, Then the 1994 Parallax, and again, pardon me for swearing, there was no fucking reason to bring the character back and keep him alive. The reason to keep him back is because the 1994 Parallax was interesting, and there was a lot of depth to him, and there's a lot you could do with him, especially if it was the character who kind of eventually found out what was inside of him and was struggling to deal with that, and was struggling to realize why maybe he did some of the things he did, and if he could gain control of this thing or get rid of it, I could still accomplish a lot of good. But that's not how, but that's not what we get written in this, and that's not what we get in this issue. And in all honesty, despite the fact that he talks like he's, again, like his IQ dropped like 30 points, I still prefer that the Jeff King version of Parallax and what we've gotten in, uh, or what we're going to get in the Robert Venditti version. So I, you know, but combine what we've seen in this issue with, with the first couple of, with let, Let's say issue 48 and 49 of Green Lantern heading into 50, as I kind of posted on Facebook. A lot of my joy of Parallax being brought back is already, a lot of that joy has been sucked out by what we've seen so far. Because it's like, makes you wonder why, what was the point then? They didn't have a big picture plan for him, like, that's okay. But they should have been smart enough to realize this character exists now, you have a chance to use this character. Don't friggin' slide him back into... You know, the 2004 jagged teeth looking parallax, because that's not the point. No, I don't think anybody wants to see that version of parallax back. Really. I don't think anybody wants to see that. Because that's, that's not the version of parallax people remembered. And and the people who at least appreciated the character, that's not why they appreciated the character. That's too friggin' easy to do. So. Mini ramp part two finished. But. That's cool. I don't know. But, have the, art, but else the art was good. What? I'm sorry, Chad.
1: Yeah, I don't have anything else to say about it.
2: But the art was good, uh, apparently Telos ends next issue, so, uh, I'm not expecting any miracles here either to think that we're gonna get any kind of real resolution to, well, it's pretty safe to say we're not gonna get a resolution to parallax a story unless the, cause we don't even know, we don't even really know, even though I think we can assume maybe the Telos stuff occurs before what happens in Green Lantern 49 and 50. But we don't know yet. But I don't I'm not expecting any big resolution. But, uh, at least I'm looking forward to the issue, and hopefully, maybe, maybe keeping my fingers crossed. At least, maybe in that issue, at least we're still not. At least at all, Even if he's still acting kind of like a jerk, at least it's not going to be jagged teeth parallax. That's the only thing that could at least help me at this point. In, in Telos number six, if at least he still looks on the outside like the like the parallax we remember. But other than that, I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll have better luck once rebirth starts.
1: All right, that's going to do it for Issue Reviews for the month of February. Uh, we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, listener feedback. Now, before we go into break, thought I'd let you guys know that you're about to hear something a little bit different than your standard fare uh, with our breaks as far as prom- promos for other fellow podcasters. What you're going to hear, actually, is an original song, uh, used with permission from the creator. Um for those of you who join me in listening to other podcasts like the Fire and Water podcast, uh, so on and so forth, you may have heard of the creator Luke Dobb. That's D-A-A-B. Luke is uh, known as, I believe, I don't know if this is a self-proclaimed moniker or someone uh, put this on him, is one of the most dastardly creative men in the comics industry. Luke is an artist. In the truest sense of the word, he does uh, uh, illustrations, he does music, he does a great many different things. As a matter of fact, uh, my friend Pete, who is the main admin of the uh, Ragman DC Comics Facebook page, um, commissioned Luke to do a commission piece of Ragman. And it was phenomenal. Uh, and Luke he didn't just draw a picture of Ragman, he took the time to actually read several issues worth of Ragman content to really get a grasp on the character before he even set pen to paper. So that that's the kind of guy he is. Luke is extremely kind, extremely creative. Well, to the song side of things, he's done several amazing songs. Uh, one off the top of my head that I remember enjoying was Child of a Lighthouse Keeper, which, of course, is about Arthur Curry. Uh, aka Aquaman, um, but he also has done a new song called Green Lantern's Lament, all about uh, uh, Hal Jordan, and it's the subtitle, so Green Lantern's Lament, the song of Emerald Twilight. So Luke uh, has given us permission to play this song uh he provided me and mark with the link before he uh you know made it known to the public so we got a you know maybe like a 20 minute head start on being able to listen to it um so uh it's it's uh, interesting it's good uh so we're going to go ahead and play that for you um and when we come back we'll be doing listener feedback if you want to check out luke's and his things feel free to go to uh patreon i don't know how if that's how you say it um, but I'm pretty sure it's Patreon, you know the the, yep. the website um, if, uh, uh, slash Luke Dobb, uh, D-A-A-B and you'll see his stuff there he's also on Facebook uh, under a page you can find Dobb Creative so we're going to play Green Lantern's Lament a song of Emerald Twilight
0: I watched them blow away everyone I used to know My friends and family How were they supposed to know It's not fair With all I've done All that I can do I couldn't save anyone It's not fair and it's not right Even this ring can't bring the dead to life I held this lantern's light But darkness was too great In a cosmic fight, and I was too late. Where have you gone? I won't admit my city scars the bottom of this blackened pit. World's at war and they shoot in hate obliterating love it's such a worthless way so many wars raging in my head so many words that were left unsaid so much to say I can hardly speak So many wars raging My blackest night For everyone I used to know Lanterns light, comfort me Please restore my world of green Bring them back, I failed but tried My city's gone and so am I
1: And we're back from break. what did you think of that
2: song? I liked it overall. I think I, I certainly liked the the beginning grabs the beginning grabs me a lot. I mean, I for a long time, especially uh, I think in the '90s. Short once was I, was I actually was the first time I got a computer actually I had a drive in it where I could burn my you know burn my own CDs and take tracks and rip them that I used to make a lot of CDs actually where about based on different time frames related to Green Lantern. So I have like, a, I have all diss that I made related, but songs related that I think are very Emerald Twilight esque. Like, you know, like Runaway Train, like by Soul Asylum. That's a yeah. very, if, if you, that's a very Hal, that's a very, very, to me, a very Hal Jordan Emerald Twilight like song. Like when he finally, like when he finally loses it and starts heading back towards Oa to get, you know, to get to power. So I, I can relate to any, so it kind of, it kind of, even the idea behind the song kind of draws to me because I, I, I still, even now, I list, when I hear songs, any it touches upon themes, or even especially if they're talking about will and fear. And a lot of that stuff, you know, because of my ties to Green Lantern, I I gravitate towards those, those songs, so. Very nicely done!
1: Kudos, Luke. Uh, yeah, it wasn't really what I was ex- expecting. It's sort of a sadder song, but I mean, it is titled Green Lantern's Lament, so it's not like I can criticize it for that. Um, but it, it was definitely good. Um, I don't know when he originally told me he was going to be doing a Green Lantern song. I don't know what I was expecting. I was—I guess—I was thinking something in—in in the way of uh, Kirby Crackle's ring capacity. Uh, but I should have known better because you know I've heard several uh, of uh, Luke's other songs. So I'm—I'm uh, I'm not surprised, and I'm actually—I'm uh, quite pleased with what he—what he came up with. So that's pretty—pretty pretty cool. Now all you need to do is do a song about Ragman, <laughs> uh, or Action Comics Weekly. I can use that on my. Podcast,
2: Whatever. (laughs) Shameless plug number one. That's right. Um, So we've got two
1: emails from Jesse and a voicemail from Corwin. So I guess we're just going to split it up. Do the first email from Jesse, then the voicemail, then we'll come back to Jesse.
2: All right, so I'll do the first one. Yeah, go ahead. Comments on episode 241. Almost a month to the day, right? Isn't today the third? Or was that yesterday? No, today's the third, so it's actually – a month. Sorry, Jesse, <laughs> but we haven't done a lot of recordings since then, <laughs> together anyway. hey, um, Chad Mark, great work as always on the recent episodes. On 241, you were talking about Lobo, and I thought I'd share a little info. <clears throat> the main man was brought into the New 52 by Rob Leofield, grown in 2012 and Deathstroke. Tangent. Despite how much I love Deathstroke, I almost dropped the book while he was writing it. It was so bad. Tangent complete. I don't know what Lobo did between then and the start of Bun's Lobo book. In the first issue of Bun's series, A new bastard somehow killed the main man. Uh, A while ago, I was curious enough to chase down the story, so I thought I'd share. I'm looking forward to the stories leading up to issue 50 and the eventual confrontation between the current HAL and Zero Hour Parallax. If issue 52 does end up being Venditti's last, I hope he goes out on a high note. One last thing, based on the rumors that I'm hearing about the upcoming rebirth, I'm convinced that the DO has no clue what the fans want. Until next time, which will be like five minutes from now, <laughs> Jesse Stewart. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I don't know. Just based, obviously,
2: we haven't read
1: them yet, but fifty-one and fifty-two don't really sound like they're going to be a high note.
2: With, it, in all honesty, with all due respect, it's all. Let's be, let's be honest for a second. Even if. The consensus opinion of Green Lantern 50 was it, it was it was really, 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 really well done. People really, really liked it. By the very nature of the next two issues, especially when you're only getting two issues before the whole reboot kicks in or relaunch, however they really want to phrase it, by the very nature of it, it would be anticlimactic. So many people were looking forward to not just the story on Earth, but once we knew Parallax was coming, people were looking forward to that. Who the hell is looking forward to the gray, the gray agents? And you only have two issues to tell the story. And to be perfectly honest, they never seen much of a threat, even when he was trying to build them up before this. So, by the, I don't see. I, th- I my personal opinion was, and I kind of, and, I, and this was one, in my response to Jesse when I wrote him back. I think issue fifty was the last real chance we had of this of Robert Venditti going out on a high note. And now that issue fifty is out. He's not going out in a high note. So I don't think fit, I think 51 and 52 are going to be exactly unfortunate, but I think you and I have felt a lot of the issues have been lately, on and off throughout the series, but especially lately, filler. I think it's just going to be filler. Uh, yes, because of how issue 50 ends, there's a certain angle to explore, which is interesting, and that's probably going to be what's going to be the catalyst for drawing people in for 51 and 52, related to how. But other than that, I don't see – I don't – I still don't see the series going out or the on a high note or the creative team going out on a high note.
1: As far as DiDio having no clue what the fans <laughs> want, I I mean preaching to the choir. But I, I think since your email, more information about Rebirth has come out. I think the, that video that Jeff Johns put out, which by the way, he looks like he needs a vacation.
2: Uh, he, I mean, not, yeah – not to hijack your thought or make it quick, but he looks at, he, he looked like he was sick or something. Cause he looked, I mean, it's not even though he looked like he needed sleep. I then mean, like he It looked like he was like, you know, he had like uh spots all over his face. He looked really,
1: really shitty. I don't think I've ever seen Jeff Johns look that bad. Yeah. So, um, uh, but that video, despite how Jeff, how Jeff looked and I, we're not insulting him. We just, no, we're,
2: I was the, concerned.
1: <laughs> yeah. We were, we were concerned for Jeff's help. Uh, um, Despite how Jeff looks, I think a lot of what he said put me a little more at ease. But you know, I'm not uh, I'm not naive, so I'm not completely in just because Jeff made a video. Um, but I'm more inclined to give it a chance. So we'll see.
2: Makes in a way, it makes me I I agree with you. But when I heard that quote, whether I think I think it was a Dio quote about that that eighty page like the one shot going to have like pretend potentially or arguably, like, the most controversial scene or page, like, ever in a DC comic, that makes me nervous. Without even knowing what the hell it could be, it just makes me nervous. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: Uh, but I... And again, I don't know how, Obviously, once we find out who the narrator is of that story, that goes a long way, since the na- I'm assuming the narrator is going to have a... going to be the catalyst in, in changing the DCU, talking about, you know, the, you know, this how great this world is, or... Our, this world is so good, but there's something missing, whatever that means. Once we find out who the who the uh, narrator is, then we maybe find out how all the pieces and why they fall into place. <clears throat>
1: all right, Corwin's voicemail.
3: Hey, fellas, it's Corwin. I just finished your November episode, or November books episode, and the very next day the December book episode came out, so I was pretty stoked about that. A uh, few pointers real quick. As for Batman, you guys have to check out some of Snyder's run. The one where Batman finally disappeared was called Endgame, um, and him and the Joker kind of went at it for, quote, like one last final time. So Batman has been gone. Um, Bruce Wayne has resurfaced with no memory at all of anything. So, yeah, check that book out. <clears throat> for St. Walker, um, I always thought it was 200 was the max. I don't remember it going above that, but, of course, I could be wrong. Um, I'm beginning to wonder also if, uh, well, first thing, I do think that he is being completely brainwashed because we've seen him charge either, I don't remember if it was him or Kyle, but we've seen the blue charge other colors before, um, and I'm pretty certain if St. Walker really wanted to, he could have charged the Sinestral Core but um, he refused to, which is when Sinestro stepped in and forced him. So I do think falling in line with the questiona- questionable decisions that Sinestro makes, I really think that uh, that was one way of showing him not being completely altruistic or completely the good guy that he's been playing in his book. Um, and I have a question. Do you guys think that Arkillo may play a hand in undermining that and helping free St. Walker without Sinestro knowing, since they've always been kind of buddy-buddy? um besides that chat i do love the callback you did to rebirth with the different lanterns and how their rings react to them i knew exactly what it is that you were talking about with that so definitely kudos anyway um still listening keep up the great work talk to you guys later all right
1: thanks cord for the voicemail by the way guys if you want to leave us a voicemail seven zero eight lantern is how you do that and clearly we will be playing those on the show so what'd you think about that
2: as usual corwin leaves a very very good and well thought out email uh the one thing a voicemail in this case uh excuse me the one thing that when i when i was listening to it that struck me was regarding of course regarding the st walker being brainwashed thing whether st walker is brainwashed right now or not we don't know because we haven't seen st walker talk since uh His one, his like one panel appearance in like this, what, issue 19 or whatever of of Sinestro. Just like we don't know if that thing on his wrist is just a symbol burned into him or like it's, it's, whether it's a Sinestro Corps member or whether it's just some kind, or whether it's like a variation on the ring. We don't know what it is, why, you know, why that's on him. He may be, he may be brainwashed now. We just don't know. You go back to the issue when St. Walker was quote unquote recruited by Sinestro. He wasn't brainwashed. He was. He he was say say He was being fed a line of crap. Maybe he was being having uh, head games played on him by Sinestro. By Sinestro was trying to cajole him and trying to seduce him to come to, to ter- join him. But but Saint Walker did join him of of his own volition. And Saint Walk. And regarding the charging of the rings, the fact the one thing that uh, Corwin was overlooking is, yes, we've seen, and we and you and I have talked about this, before, we've seen, say, the blue, we know the blues can charge the greens, we know the blues can charge the indigos, we've always assumed we, they can charge the sapphires because they're all on the same side of the spectrum. But St. Walker even pointed out in that book to Sinestro was, it isn't like I'm not willing to help you, but I can't because I can only use my higher functions when I'm around a green lantern ring. That's why he couldn't charge up the Sinestro's if he really wanted to, because his ring, by default, or as far as he understood it, could only be super. Could his higher functions could only be unlocked when he was around the Green Lantern ring. There were no Green Lantern rings around anymore. So that was the point. That's what he, he even said that you know. That's why he was going. It's not like I'm not willing to help you. So well, part of what Sinestro was trying to do by you know break, breaking it down and rebuilding it back up again was he was trying to get. St. Walker's ring to be able to function off of another ring. And that's, that's the thing that happens in that issue too. It isn't just that St. Walker's, St. Walker's able to charge up the Sinestro cores to 200% because his ring is also able to now work off a different ring besides the Green Lantern ring. That's the part that I, that, when um, the Corman I don't, I, he probably, he probably didn't zero in on that point. He was just thinking of the brainwashing and, but that's that's the thing. It isn't just that Saint Walker is re, is, it, is charging up the Sinestro is because of the fact that Saint Walker is capable of doing that because his ring is now functioning fully, un, seemingly fully unlocked in the power of another core when it never was able to do that before. So he may very well be brainwashed now. But the whole point of him joining up with Sinestro and at least beginning to explore that possibility, Saint Walker did do it voluntarily, though. Uh, We know it's Sad Sack St. Walker, so you're not dealing with him at his, you know, at the height of his, uh, maybe his, his, uh, objectivity or his, uh, his analysis may have been impaired. But that.
1: Uh, as for Arkillo breaking out St. Walker, I doubt it. Uh, if only because I'm jaded and I kind of think that, um, nobody gives a shit about what happened in New Guardians. None of that's going to come and play into this title. Well, you
2: know what could? Be, I think it's some. It's possible. Let's put it this way: it might be possible. If let's say, let's say Saint Walker heals Arkillo's hand again, like in the next couple of issues. Let's say they, let's say they have interaction. Saint Walker heals him once again, like when he when he healed his tongue. If they do that, they're kind of touching on old ground. Maybe Arkillo's going to see him, uh, and see him, especially if. Here's a th- another thing that points possibly to that. Is see the fact that Arkelo is clearly embracing some elements of being more noble or more, or more of the hero. He likes being that. That's clear in the end of this arc that there's a part of Sines- Arkillo that actually kind of likes being the champion, having people look to him as the, somebody to protect them. He likes that. So he could see that in Saint Walker, he could he could feel kin, some kinship with Saint Walker. He could feel bad for Saint Walker where he is, and also there's also the element of it's not even necessarily going against Sinestro. It's because Sora is in charge of the core. and they're not exactly buddy buddy. He's he's like grudgingly accepted her because it's Sinestro's daughter, and he can't he doesn't want to go against Sinestro. But it's not like Archillo doesn't once again. Archillo might. Not just because of a power struggle rivalry, but just because he may, if he sees Sora doing things he doesn't agree with, then it, again, wrong, rightly or wrongly, he may feel again like it's his duty to try to take more control of the core, And maybe that would be his way of doing it, to either get Saint Walker to join him, or to if he sees Saint Walker maybe as a secret weapon for Sinestro and he doesn't like that direction. I don't know. It's, I don't. I think it's somewhat possible. I, I don't know if we'll see that payoff if it does happen in the next two issues or not.
1: And if it pays off, I'm pretty sure it has nothing to do with New Guardians.
2: Um, yeah, it might not, but I might, but but you never know. We could get thrown a bone. Somebody could re- you know, reference the fact that this is like the set, not the first time that Saint Walker is healed in, or something like that, or the relationship.
1: Uh, uh, thank you again, Corwin, for the voicemail. We appreciate that. Uh, speaking of Corwin, I actually appeared on his, uh, Earth's Mightiest podcast. Uh, so EMX, the X-Men podcast that he does with, uh, two of his guy, uh, two of his friends. Um, episode 39, that episode released just the other day as we were, re we record this. Uh, so that's episode 39 at, uh, com. We had a good time discussing the, uh, X-Men titles from the month of January. Alright, Jesse's email jesse's email uh jesse says i agree somewhat with your sentiment from our last email i was disappointed we didn't get to see a direct confrontation between sonar and hal however i did like that hal used his brain to figure out what sonar was up to and how to save the ambassadors as for parallax i'm a little confused what he's up to what does he think is threatening coast city or is it just his general i failed once and i'm not going to let it happen again I mean, he just helped save the whole of existence and brought back the multiverse. I guess Coast City was such a personal failure that he doesn't feel like he can ever uh, sign for it?
2: Uh, I'm trying to think what it was supposed to be. Uh, that's a good one. I'm not quite sure that he can ever...
1: S-I-N-E? I don't know. Um, well,
2: I could go on for a few more paragraphs, but we will
1: stop here. Jesse.
2: I think... Well, As we'll talk about more when we do, uh, Green Lantern 50. What Jesse raises is a perfectly legitimate, honest, logical question. It's like, when you look at the character of who Parallax was at that time, on some basic level, yeah, Coast, Coast, his, A Coast City was destroyed. His original Coast City was destroyed. But what he just, I mean, in a way, what he just accomplished was even greater than what he was trying to do in zero hour. Yes, he's not the ultimate, you know, he's not the ultimate guardian of of all of his existence, or or at least of one universe like he was hoping to be. But he saved so, he, even from a redemption point of view, he just did so much. And you would think that, yeah, you would think that that one, that Coast City would, it would, it would be something he might be able to, he might be able to get over a little bit because even our parallax started getting over Coast City started getting to the fact where bringing back Coast City wasn't the be all end all to him. He started moving beyond that even before Final Night. Uh So yeah, I it I think when we we once we look at this whole if you want to call it an arc is really the how parallax thing is really just one issue when you really look at it the motivation there i think is not really it's not really strong for parallax to be the way he is to act the way he is to think the way he is and that's even before you know we, we we start kind of go off the deep end in the middle of the issue when it's still Hal seemingly doing all the thinking i don't know i it's i don't know i got to be honest at this point i'm i'm so i'm kind of so jaded by what just just with issue 50 that just came out that i kind of think it's a lot of this just has to do with Uh, with the way, either the way Robert knows the character or he doesn't know the character or how he views the character instead of running the character as he was. Even though this, that's not entirely out of the blue, clearly. I mean, in a way, it's going back to the very roots of Parallax. But even, but even by the time we got to zero hour, technically, Parallax had kind of like progressed a little bit. Because he had moved beyond bringing back Coast City. He had moved beyond Coast City's resurrection being his only goal. He realized he was thinking too small thanks to Guy Gardner, in their fight during Emerald Fallout, but he realized that he was thinking too small, that there's so many th- other things that have gone wrong in the universe, and I have the power to fix them. So you would kind of think, having to, having to do, or being in the position to do what he did in Convergence, and even in Convergence, he was talking about that he was in need of redemption and how he didn't want to go back to his universe, that he kind of, you know, basically, maybe he was just leaving his past behind on, on every level and trying to do something different, to do something maybe bigger picture, or or forget, almost just like leaving his past behind and trying to set, you know, uh, new horizons and not necessarily, oh, I'm going to go to this universe and bring back Co-City. I'm going to go back to this universe and protect Co-City. I don't know. I, I don't think, I think at the end of the day we're going to look, look at at least this part of the Parallax Resurrection and say it really hasn't been handled well or consistently. But
1: I haven't read 50 yet, and I'm sort of waiting for, rebirth to happen and or not rebirth but i'm sort of waiting for all this parallax stuff to end before i do a hindsight 2020 sort of look at parallax so i can't really answer your email jesse not not yet yet but rest assured i'll get my personal thoughts out on parallax
2: later on <laughs> and and to and again trying to be fair yes there's still a chance parallax could play into rebirth i don't think it's going to happen now i think a lot of us were hoping that maybe it was going to happen maybe have some kind and it's possible but I don't I think when you read Green Lantern 50 I think you come away thinking it's probably not very likely maybe 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 there'll be something at the end of Telos that maybe will make us think maybe it is possible but I'm trying not to have high hopes at this point I so we'll see I'll just I'll keep my fingers crossed but I don't I don't think any I don't know I think if you read Green Lantern 50 I don't necessarily think you're going to come away people in general are going to come away thinking that it's very likely that Parallax is going to be a catalyst for anything good happening in Rebirth. So.
1: Uh, all right. Well, thanks for the feedback, Jesse and Corwin. We really appreciate it. Mark, you want to go ahead and close this out Let us know. let people know how they can reach out to us like Jesse and Corwin did?
2: Sure. Uh, you can email us lanterncast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, lanterncast.com. We have our Dark Star reviews. We have blogs and commentaries. We have way overdue due at this point, but we need uh, Ring Encyclopedia episodes plus all our uh weekly or monthly episodes are posted there <laughs> as well excuse me Uh you can follow us on Twitter Instagram and Facebook hashtag geocast to locate us on any of those we're on iTunes and Stitcher so please whichever platform you listen to us on or both please leave us positive reviews and last but not least if you'd like to leave us a voicemail 708 lantern is that number 708 lantern call us and let us know what you think
1: all right, guys, before we go, one more thing you can reach us out on is DC has now released the DC All Access app. Uh, and I, I think it's tied into your personal Facebook page when you're logging in and stuff. So I don't know, uh, Mark, if you can access it or whatever. But I logged on for I, I basically when it first came out, the DC All Access app. I downloaded it to my phone and created an account. And instead of calling myself Chad Bokelman, I just because really all i care about with dc right now is green lantern anyways i just called it the lantern cast so if you want to find the lantern cast on uh the dc all access app you can do that there now whether the dc all access app remains whether it continues working whether it becomes a useful tool no idea whatsoever but we're there if you want to try and find us uh, find us there in 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 if you're utilizing the dc all access app so there's that um next episode guys I guess is uh what quarterly quarterly
2: yeah I think we're gonna I think we're gonna do we're gonna do quarterly quarterly and then we still have a f- bunch a few ideas to uh that we're working on as we build up towards the big 250-ish episode which we already
1: know what we're doing guys
2: <laughs> yes we do at least heaven forbid we actually do have a real plan for what we want to do for episode 250 so we're building towards that uh and obviously, we have other episodes we have to start working on as as we start creeping through March. So yeah, should be should be some good stuff coming out, and it's certainly worth listening to. I think people will be happy overall with the output between uh, between us here and us on other on, on other platforms and other podcasts. We're going to be all over the place.
1: <laughs> all right, guys, uh, reach out to us in whichever way suits you best, and we'll talk to you next time.
2: Good night, everybody. Good night. Let's look at this and find out what we love about it. What did we love about it? What do we love about it? And really take all of that and build a better book, build a better universe. The whole point of Rebirth for all of us is to get back to the essence of the characters. I'll end this with saying the DC Universe Rebirth special, the very first couple lines in it sum up um, what this is to me. This is a picture of the world and the narrator, mysterious narrator says, I love this world, but there's something missing.